Welcome everybody to Haggerty's Never Stop Driving podcast. This is the pod for those who love cars and driving and are committed to keeping those precious things alive. And we're gonna bring you the latest from the car world and Haggerty Media and interviews with the car world's most compelling people. Now I'm your host, Larry Webster. I'm the editor-in-chief of Haggerty Media. And today we're looking back on 2023. We're discussing the major happenings in the automotive world and some of our favorite things Haggerty Media produced in 2023. Now, here I have two key people from Haggerty Media. This is one of our, I call him the editor to the star and manager of media content, Mr. Joe DiMaggio. Hi, Joe. Hey. Hey, guys. And we have the dude from Pittsburgh who runs Haggerty's video and social media efforts, Mr. Matt Tassolo. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Nice to be here. Um, Thanks, I, Larry. I don't know if I told you guys. Um, <laughs> if you see me wincing as I move, I'm really sore. I went ATVing uh, last week again, and I took a really hard spill, landed on my oh. side, and I bruised up my whole left side, which, of course... Uh, have, you, have you seen a chiropractor yet? No, I haven't seen anybody yet. My wife's like, why, why are you doing this again? You're 53. I'm like, oh, my gosh, dear. I love this. I couldn't love it more. <laughs> you went back to Tennessee for that, right? I did. Um, and um, I don't know. If I look back at last year, like one of the things that I'm doing that I didn't think I would ever do. Uh, Four-wheelers and ATVs, I thought, were way in my rear view. So to doing them again is super-duper exciting. And um, I don't know. I just thought I'd share you that. Must, it's, you know, been a good year. You must like it because you've gone to Tennessee twice from Michigan in the past, yes. what, month or two? Yeah, I have some friends down there, and they have a big slash of private land in the mountains that we ride on. And it's super-duper fun. What about um? Are there sand dunes in Michigan you'd be riding on? Like I feel yes, like there it's are prime riding. Yeah, Muskegon okay. sand dunes, big beautiful things. I my experience there is it's sort of pretty terrifying because it's just a big open area, and I don't know how they don't kill each other. Just run into each other all the time. Now, Joe, I mean, this, these things were part and parcel of your growing up in rural Michigan. I would think. Well, I am from the part of rural Michigan where they encourage the use of these vehicles rather than discourage, yeah. you know, some, some parts of the country and some parts of Michigan don't, don't like them, but I'm from mid, mid Michigan where they like the snowmobiles and the dirt bikes and the ATVs and all the other motorized, uh, fun stuff that you might want to use. Yeah. Um, so. Well, we'll circle back part to of the culture. Snowmobiles and ATVs, how they played a pretty key role in 2023. But, you know, first, the um, the whole point, the name of this pod and the newsletter, Never Stop Driving, you know, that really emerged. Uh, this is before your time, but Joe, you were here. This was like, I don't know, I want to say about six years ago, maybe seven, when suddenly this new technology emerged, autonomous driving, they called it. We sometimes call it robotic drivers, AVs, they sometimes call it. And even Bob Lutz was saying, hey, look, by 2030, you're not going to be able to drive. And, um, you know, we naturally all freaked out. And we said, well, hey, we got to talk and we got to gather and we got to make sure. Totally get it. We're not against progress. But, you know, just like people still like to ride horses, we still want to drive. So let's make sure we can help make that possible in the future. But I look at 2023 as the year when the realities of that tech, which we'd sort of seen some noises when Ford backed out and Volkswagen Black backed out from their autonomous tech uh, ventures. I mean, this year, the wheels really fell off. Um, and, and Joe, do you remember when we were really kind of scared about this? 
Yeah, it was about six years ago, and we put together a whole cover package for Haggerty Drivers Club magazine yeah. to discuss the future of autonomy and, and how it was going to affect you know the lives of car enthusiasts and people in general. And it was we, we really tried to look deep into the crystal ball. Um, we obsessed over this kind of futuristic illustration that we did for the cover of the magazine. Um, which, uh, in retrospect, looks kind of naive and silly, but uh, you know, at the time we oh, wanted I to express that we, we, <laughs> we, that we were imagining this, and then we, we um, went to pains to uh, to talk about how the technology might roll out and how it would coexist with existing internal combustion cars and uh you know lots of kind of future think i, I can't remember who all wrote for that but um yeah the, the, yeah. the best piece um uh, if i remember in my memory was aaron's aaron robinson he's one of our star writers he gets in there and he goes look autonomous tech is is is, is a, a misformed tech because it's solving the wrong problem you're not going to need this because the virtual world is going to get so good, you won't need to travel to be with other people. So, or you yeah. can teleconference in a more effective way. So, and this was even before COVID and Zoom and all that stuff. And I, I mean, looking back, he was really present. I think. Yeah, he's hit that theme several times over yeah. the years in our in our magazine, and. Uh, and I think we we get, we touched on the the theme that um, you know autonomous vehicles are still vehicles clogging city streets and such, and you know that's yeah. another whole issue. So, but I didn't realize um, you know Tesla's under there's multiple lawsuits for their full self driving and, and autopilot. Which I mean, did they just recall two million cars? Two million all, cars. Basically, every Tesla ever built has been recalled for its uh, autonomous or, or their self-driving technology, autopilot or whatever they call it. Um, you know, it's a classic Elon Musk approach. Like he stretches the boundaries of, uh, you know, the legal boundaries, engineering. I mean, he's an, he, he's a genius in a lot of ways for sure. Um, but it's it's also typical of modern technology and the tech industry stretching the legal boundaries of many things. Uber has with taxi laws, Airbnb sure. has with hotel point. lodging, you know, and right. so Elon has done it with this. And it's like, um, and there and there have been some missteps along the way. People uh, are a little gullible. You would think the people that are, uh, you know, affluent enough to afford a Tesla are smart enough to realize that this doesn't really allow you to like take your hands off the wheel and I don't know, Joe. Sleep. You call it full self-driving, <laughs> and you're sitting there for ten minutes on the highway, and you haven't touched a thing. At some point, you go, "Wow, it really is autopilot," just like they call it. Well, I'm taking this a nap. Fault goes goes back to Elon Musk and the words. communication. Words matter, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, also um, autopilot in a plane, you still have to be paying attention to a degree. Um, right. Those I, pilots you know, cannot leave their seats entirely. True. Right. I mean, they're not I believe they're not to. supposed to, but, yeah, you know. Right. They don't want Here's to question, anymore. though. If Maximum Bob predicted 2030, and that's probably not going to happen, how many times has Maximum Bob been wrong? Not many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've known Bob for a long time. Uh, they had a really touching tribute to Bob this past summer I got to go to, and... You guys remember, Joe probably remembers when Bob was was one of the top three at Chrysler in the 90s. And 
you know, Chrysler could do no wrong. It was a small, nimble company making Vipers and Prowlers and Intrepids and really on the forefront of design and, and driving dynamics. And there was a lot of people from those Chrysler days, and they were in tears over Bob Lutz. And just, just for background, if, if we didn't catch it, Bob Lutz is who we're talking about, longtime oh, yeah. automotive executive, um, worked at BMW and Ford of Europe during you know some very interesting times in the 60s and 70s, ended up in Detroit in the 80s, uh, definitely helped save Chrysler at least once, maybe twice. Um, and he's always been a favorite of automotive media because he gives good quote. He always has something interesting to say. He's very opinionated. Yeah. Whereas a lot of executives that Larry, you and I have run into over the years uh, in the auto industry, they're just uh, you know hamstrung by PR operatives. They're afraid to say anything. They just repeat all the same corporate lines. And Bob was all, never like that. So um, very opinionated, hugely intelligent guy. Um, but he got very, uh, um, what's the word? Um, uh, uh, um, he, he became obsessed with this advent of autonomy about six years ago. He's like, ah, the fun is over. It's done. You know, um, and he may well, he just yeah, verbalized little... what a lot of us saw, thought too, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, as as Matt just said, he was probably a little premature in the timing. Um, and uh, I don't know about autonomy over the long haul. Um, certainly in certain um, controlled environments, I can see it in the next decade. But I could see it like in a smaller European country. It's never going to happen here. You're never going to have enough agreement between all the states. And the shitty roads. Yeah. You don't and think it'll be geofenced? Like, do you think in your lifetime you'll always be able to drive in Manhattan? Oh, no. 100%. No, no, no. 100%. No, you do. I disagree. 100%. Why do you 100%. say that? Because no, I think, I think too, it's, it's too, too chaotic. much sense. No, it's too chaotic. They'll never get enough agreement on it. Mm -mm. Oh, oh, so it's I the public think, will. Mm. I think privately owned cars will be banned from the island of Manhattan by 2030. I kind of think so, too. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm putting a hundred dollars on no right now. Look it. Oh. Okay. Why? Let's... I mean, because the place is is the driving congested clog zone. You can't get anywhere. It's they're not. So it's the, not the citizens gonna, are just going to live with that for this this weird freedom. Like driving in New York is some great thing. No one said it was great, but it's certainly <laughs> it's a thing. It's I'm you know wait right a now, second. I'll, we, I'll we ramp should, it up. We, I'll put a thousand on it. Well, okay, Joe, we gotta. I mean, here's a guy who drives in New York and parks like he lives in suburbia. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're an anomaly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I certainly okay. am. I, it, it, let me clarify a little bit. I think by 2030, it will be so expensive to bring your privately owned car onto the island of Manhattan, so prohibited, okay. that yeah. very few people will do it. It's like many okay. things, you know. It will be taxed out of usage um, uh, at least if not outright banned. I tell yeah. you, I didn't expect the um, backlash. You know, the backlash we saw this summer with the cruise vehicles in San Francisco. And they they have to ramp up the number of vehicles on the roads because, you know, GM and other investors have been pouring hundreds of millions and billions into these technology for years. At some point, the investors and the people who are part of it say, we need to see a return. 
And, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, a lot of the other companies said, we don't see a market here. We're pulling out. Ford pulled back. Volkswagen pulled back. Many others. Uber did. They killed their autonomous vehicle thing. Because what they saw was like the end game for this technology is not clear. The total investment required to make it work is not clear. Some point they're rushing these cars out. I, I was surprised at this sort of almost uh reflexive backlash you know they were putting the traffic cones on the from the public yeah the public was stopping them cold especially there i mean to me i was like okay i get it i love to drive but like humans are idiots right they drive drunk the the robots are I, i i do think already they're probably as safe as we are i don't know well but but that surprised i mean if i'm here think if all the vehicles were able to speak to one another Right, which is kind of what you need for this whole thing to work, then maybe. But the problem you mean is all the vehicles on the road, to, not just the cruise, because the cruise vehicles. Yeah, do. exactly. So like all yeah. the vehicles on the road have to be talking to one another at the same time, and that would mean that you'd either have to retrofit something to every other old car on the road and mandate yeah. that, which is never going to happen. Right. Um, and then you'd have to have all the manufacturers also like agree, like, oh yeah, yeah we're all using the same tech, right? It's like VCR tapes or. CDs or you know like there's a standardized format sort of thing and we right. can't even get people to agree on like the electrical outlet for EVs okay but I mean if you think about it this way um, you know whenever there's new technology everybody's racing to be at the the top right at some point the, the companies go well actually okay we're too far behind we can't catch up let's pull the plug and that is a greater um, advantage to the ones that stay in the game and the two left in the game were Cruise and Google through Waymo and now Cruise uh, you know, they lost their permit to use driverless cars in California. Big blow. The CEO and founder left. And then they think they just laid off a quarter of their workforce. General Motors has announced we're going to dramatically uh, scale back the investment. So that just leaves Waymo. So now you're like, wow, you know, this is turning into just like little side project instead of like, oh, this is our next big investment to keep our business going. And Joe, I'm back to you. I mean, Never imagined this six years ago that this is where we'd be in 2023. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm saying. It all took a lot. Well, the technology has taken a lot longer than people were predicting. Um, A lot of the problems that people did predict have have happened. Like, you know, these cars are hard mixing. The chaos on the streets. And I think it's interesting this year in San Francisco. San Francisco has had a, a tough couple of years. So you have the people on the street, those who are still left, um, mm. Mm. and they're like, you know, San Francisco. San Francisco has taken a lot of hits. The tech industry made the city, the modern city, and then, you know, it kind of abandoned it the past couple of years. Everybody's working from home. The downtown's been decimated, and so then you have these, um, you know, test autonomous vehicles running rampant through the city, causing chaos. It just, I think, it hit a chord with uh the residents of the area like are you kidding me you know um right so i don't know it's yeah well hey we love to drive i love to drive um i'm a little bit sad because like i've said before i I like the idea of autonomy because i don't like my kids sharing the roads with idiots but i think i'm going to be driving my car till the end of my days and i think that's pretty clear (laughs) More so than now. So I kind of count that in a good. Um, but let's switch back to ATVs and snowmobiles because they played such a key role. And Matt, you brought this up. You know, one of the biggest news items of, of 
the past year was was just kind of sad. And and you have a, a a better seat of this. This is when Ken Block unexpectedly passed away, um, mm. and I imagine that was a big blow to you because you. I mean, how many years did you work with him? Like a decade? What did uh, we you did it, Yeah, we did a decade together, yeah. A decade? Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's funny because that happened on January 2nd. So it was like the very beginning of the year. And I had a friend who was at the Autosport Awards uh, two weeks ago. And they run like the whole like the people we lost kind of, you know, playback thing at the awards. And he wasn't in it. And she was oh. like, what? She's like, what the? F- how? And I was You're like, kidding. I was like, I have no idea. How, I have no idea how to miss that. That's Rico. Hey, Rico, shut up. Yeah, sorry. Um, and this was a snowmobile accident, right? Yeah. I mean, he loved getting out of the backcountry snowmobiling and just, you know, got a... Got Don't a, tell my wife, please. The yeah. ATV will be gone in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but he so. was like, he was like the, the uh, you know, it, people who love to drive and the art of driving, right? Think of what Ken Well, Block I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is us. like, he really celebrated and embodied like uh, having fun with a car. Right. The yeah. idea was always like everything he did, you're having fun with the car. So it's you're racing it or you're in a controlled environment doing a burnout or a donut or whatever. I mean, the idea was always like celebrating the fact that like cars are fun and yeah. you can do really fun stuff with them. So, right. you know, it's, I think it's a big loss from like an enthusiast standpoint, especially for like sure. a younger generation. Um, there's plenty of people that are going to you know, eventually come up and, and carry the torch. But I think he did a really good job mm-hmm. kind of mixing uh motorsport professionalism with enough fun to make it exciting for people to want to actually check it out he was a total just, entertainer you know total mm-hmm. entertainer yeah that uh jim Kana in san francisco i just looked up the other day for, i can't remember why 120 million views 120 that was, million. yeah about that, that was the right location right time insane so what what should we know about ken that we don't matt oh god uh what should you know <laughs> I mean, you spent a decade traveling the world with them. We should tell you. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot. Give us yeah, an explanation. Of... Why? Tell us about it. What did you do with them? I mean, we did everything. I mean, the thing was like, it was always about uh, how can we tell a story, right? So it's all, everything. Now, what was, was your job? Uh, like, why oh, did my you come job? to be traveling with Ken? Jeez. Uh, I was at a magazine, print magazine, which was not dead yet, uh, called Zero to 60. And then we had a sister magazine called Rides. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys that I worked with there, Brian Scotto, knew Ken from doing Gumball in like 2005 or six. Right. He left, went to go work with Ken when Ken was going from like U.S. national level to global in terms of rallying with Ford. And then eight, 10 months later, like they were just thrashing and drowning. And they came back and poached me from the magazines. And I was like, well, print is dying. And they just shut down zero to 60 and gave me rides no i don't want to do just rides so took a flyer smart on move. it and uh it was a smart at the time it was a risky move but it seemed smart um and then yeah worked initially doing kind of comms and you know just general writing stuff graduated that into like kind of marketing sponsor relations um and then really kind of management in terms of just kind of everywhere on the globe we were going there i was making sure things ran smoothly so Okay, back to my original question. <laughs> what should we know about Ken that we don't know? Uh, what should you know? Like weird factoid? Um, no, no, no. Tell us about him as a person. We saw him in the car. Oh, as a person? Oh, we saw him I mean, talk. I mean, come on. Yeah, you, were, yeah, yeah. you were sitting next to him all the time. Come on. All give us the, some, yeah, come, all the time. Here's what I'd say. Here's what I'd say. Uh, major introvert. Uh, was able to amazing. kind of like put it on to be an extrovert. Yeah. 
for the fans and for sponsors and, and whomever else, but major introvert, mm-hmm. uh, dedicated family man, um, really, 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 really gave a shit about doing things the right way in terms of like taking the extra time, uh, like taking the extra time to like make sure things were executed to the highest degree possible. Like there was never any compromise. Like we didn't cut corners on anything. Um, he was always going to like stick around and do it again or spend the extra time to make sure the scripting was correct. Or, you know, we'd spend mm-hmm. a little bit extra money to get the better location for, you know, it's like no compromises. Um, and, you know, really wanted to make sure that he was giving something back to the audience. Mm-hmm. So if that yeah. meant like sticking around, signing autographs for longer, great. Always made sure to spend money on like A2 size, like heavy stock posters. Because the idea was like, if someone's going to wait in line to get an autograph, mm-hmm. give them something that they're not going to throw out, give them something that they'll want to take home and put on the wall. Wow. So it was really a lot of attention to detail. And what was his um, genius? Like, why did the world come to know Ken Block? Because uh, it's kind of the success, it's the success story that everyone wants to have, right? Like you build a business, you Which sell it. What? Uh, DC Shoes. And how did he build that? So, what was his talent? uh marketing marketing was a marketing so promotion yeah, marketing I mean, noise promotioning and marketing of like all the different skaters and athletes yeah and then okay. basically the idea though like you know you build something in america you get acquired by a bigger company you sell it you cash in and then you go do cool shit with that money like some people like just take it and they invest it and it's boring and they retire and they margaret is at the beach all day he went out and then like started racing which is a great way to lose a fortune. Um, <laughs> Let's just burn the money. <laughs> yeah, he like just set it on fire. <laughs> Did um, he start as a skater then? Is that how he... Uh, he had an interest in skating, but he couldn't really skate himself. But then um, his buddy, uh, Damon Way, had a younger buddy, Danny Way, who was very talented. So it kind of all worked together. I think Danny was like their first athlete. Um, but yeah, basically he retired and then got into racing. And then like, you know... He was a well-to-do guy, but he was never, like, trying to get, like, the latest, greatest, like, shiniest car. He'd want, like, a good pickup truck, a dirt bike, or an ATV. Mm-hmm. Um, would spend the money to go, like, heliboarding instead of just, like, you know, jewelry and bling. And what, yeah. You know, like, it, was, it was 2006 kind of era, so that was still kind of a <sighs> thing. Man, everybody um, started a year. Yeah, so it was a hard, yeah. So, big loss for everybody. I mean, impact a lot for of you. people in my career. Yeah, big loss for me as well. I mean, listen, there was a lot of us that kind of benefited from kind of coming up under his tutelage and uh, getting to work on the projects. But the idea is that you remember what you learned and you apply it going forward. So, yeah, I mean, I hear from you several times, you know, uh, you know, Ken would say X and be like, oh, mm-hmm. so you were listening. Smart. That was smart of you. <laughs> Free education. May as well pay attention. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, his videos were so fun. And um, there's a, I was at a party last week, a holiday party. And one of the neighbors is a professor here at U of M. And she says, I'm going to teach a class in, in Bullet. I said, you mean the Steve McQueen movie Bullet? She's like, yes. And I'm like, God damn it. How was I not going to school where I could have a class that teaches Bullet? I mean, I mean that'd her, be, that was, that was but that's, What's she huh? teaching? What's her fi- what is her field? What's her I, you department? know, it's I don't know, some sort of film history, something. I mean, mm. you know, there's so many ways mm. I blew it. Gosh, I was studying engineering and all we did was talk about thread pitch and crap like that. But anyway, 
I was explaining, I'm like, oh, well, you've seen the Ken Block video, right? And she's like, no, what's that? I'm like, oh, it was like the biggest automotive video in the past decade inspired by Bullet. And then I watched it and I saw some of the scenes that he caught, you know, they, they sort of paid homage to in Ken Block's video. Do you happen to know? Was I wrong about that or, or Matt? Was uh, that, well, was it? I mean, Bullet's a nice coincidence. And obviously, you know, the Ford tie-in yeah. you know, connection there makes a lot of sense. But it was actually... Um, because he's driving a, a Fiesta rally car, Ford Fiesta. Yeah, but what was the um? There's an island where they had Luft this year. Um, Balboa. So, no, it's like north of the city. It's like a naval sub building place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget. Oh, wherever they had it. Um, and we actually originally went to go scout that location. So like, we flew in, got oh. in a van. We all went there. We stopped at a Chipotle in Oakland, and then went there. Got really bummed out because location wasn't that great. Um, and then we stopped at the same Chipotle on the way out for dinner. That's how long we were there scouting. And then on the way, like back, there was a guy in the van, like the scout head. And he was like, Hey, um, I don't know. You guys want to check out San Francisco? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we just scouted it like two months ago for Iron Man, but they moved it to Miami instead. So we got all these locations that we already kind of scouted. So we extended the trip and we stayed another day and then we scouted San Francisco and we're like, wait, we can get san francisco for like the same money like let's do it so yeah we kind of like stumbled into san francisco and it just kind of you know this was ah. still before like this is before social really blew up and then this is before like you know people were really kind of like sharing like major news like on like youtube and stuff like that what um, year was this like 10 12 this 14? was yeah, this something like that. Then 12, 12. Yeah, because 11 was Universal Studios. Um, yeah. And then, like, you know, we got like the Bay Bridge. <laughs> the Bay Bridge was $18,000 on a Sunday morning. We got like four rolling stops of traffic, like stage on Treasure Island. Um, we got that barge for like, I don't know, 20 grand maybe. Um, no, that's serious money. I, yeah. I, I mean, see, that, that was a multi million dollar production at the end of it, but, but still. Like it was so. You know, you know what brought my what brought me back to Joe. This was, uh, it was like I think when it came out right around when I first went to Road and Track, and oh, yeah. um, probably a year or two before um, I hired you. And it was, I remember like, how am I hell am I going to compete with Ken Block? Like you know <laughs> that is supposed to be the tip of the automotive enthusiast spear, and I'm looking at this like. And I remember, oh, that that's right. I, I remember I called Scotto and I immediately went and had dinner with him. And I came up with this idea. I said, how about we bring Ken to the original Watkins Glen Grand Prix course around the thing? And could we do the next Gymkhana there and we would help pay for it? And they said, yeah, we're kind of interested. And I remember it wasn't long after that. I actually drove out there, drove and videoed the entire course and then sent it to those guys like could we do anything with this and of course at this point they're probably like we don't need this clown yeah <laughs> but we don't need road did track. you ever hear about that Matt? uh i mean we definitely got a lot of inquiries about like yeah. hey can you come do this with us kind of stuff but right. that, that was point, your we job were... to delete those emails <laughs> <laughs> i mean they all you might have read. deleted larry's email back it's in entirely possible entirely possible um I mean, at that point, we were already on such a trajectory and we had, yeah. you know, enough corporate dollars kind of flowing into kind of self-fund it that we didn't have to share right. a lot of ownership with it, which was nice. Yeah, I think they were doing it out of charity, just talking to me. So, <laughs> yeah, OK. Uh, what a guy. 
I mean, I missed him. Yep. I'm sure you missed him. Um, what else, you guys? What were some of the biggest things of, of last year that, that really stick out? I mean, well, can we, I said, I mean, I'll go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, are we are we going to do Cybertruck or are we going to just note that Cybertruck was, yeah, was a big thing? Yeah, because I was about to bring up, it, 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 as I said the other day, it was the it was the year of Elon Musk, for better and for worse, a lot of worse. Yeah, true. But um, there was no avoiding Elon Musk this year, no avoiding Tesla on every front. Um, and it's always interesting in the car world when the car world becomes part of the greater cultural conversation. Because right. in general, the car industry is in the background of American culture. As much as cars are a part of American everything, the industry and the people in it, they're often unknown. Um, you know, a lot. some people probably know that GM has a, a female CEO. She's been there mm -hmm. a long time. They might kind of yeah. know that. Mary Barra, she's yep, you know, yep. kind of semi-famous in business circles. But your average American probably still doesn't know. Um, <clears throat> and we've been talking in the office recently about Lee Iacocca. And, you know, 40 years ago, when he was CEO of Chrysler, he was a household name in America. And Elon Musk is the first automotive executive since Lee Iacocca to be a household name. Yeah. Um, you know, and and of course, he's he's not just automotive. He's everywhere. He's controlling the uh, communication you know, in, in communication in, uh, space Ukraine. over Ukraine. I mean... <laughs> With his uh, Starlink, uh, is it called Starlink? Is that the name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so he's got the biggest. No avoiding one, Elon most... this year, whether you wanted to or not. No avoiding that man. Heavily big, big player in social media and and what the discourse is and the yeah. the the journey over the past uh, thirteen months, I think now with X, formerly known as Twitter. What I want to know is how long will um, other media outlets continue to reference X with a parenthetical, the the social site <laughs> formerly known as Twitter. Because I've seen okay. that all year. You tell us, Joe. You were former uh, copy I, I, editor. I'm, just, I'm curious. Like, how long? When would you do it? Would, would you necessary? cut it out now? I would cut it out now. I think it's we're getting to the point where, like, okay, we get it. Yeah, it, you know, if they say if they're quoting some politician, you know, like Senator so and so, in a statement on X, paren. The site formerly known as Twitter, Peren, I would said that. we're not sending any money to Ukraine or whatever. Like you know, and uh, you know, the the New York Times, the Washington Post, I believe, uh, various outlets have been putting in that parenthetical, which I found interesting. Well, I think and they're I, also yeah. lamenting the loss of what it was. So I, I think, think it's both that, yeah, yeah, and reader clarity. Clarity yeah. for readers. Oh, I see. They want to. Yeah, I get it. That's a good point. Because it's just the letter. It's just the letter X. So it could be confusing. You know, it's that's the bummer it about it. It could be a placeholder. Just, it could just be right. Dummy copy. Right. right. I mean, the 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 further erosion of the power of or legitimacy or trust in media is just a theme that continues to rock, and it bums me out. I mean, the you know the internet and these social media have been. Um, I am biased. I'm biased, but sucking the life out of these organizations and taking all the money. And, you know, Google decides on an SEO change and suddenly the whole publisher model is toast. And now you've probably seen all this stuff that comes out about chat GTP or G GTP that scrapes the entire internet, uses that information and then spits out the answer. So a, a query does not even require a visit to the website. So the original poster now doesn't even get the click and whatever minuscule pennies that click was worth. So 
this is going to be an interesting thing going forward and how, you know, I feel like it's just going to be more and more walled gardens and there'll be uh, less opportunity for you to see stuff outside of your little bubble is the way I'm looking at it. I don't know about you guys. Oh, the well, topic yeah. just shuts it right yeah, down. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, listen, I'm not trying, it's, it, I don't want to be that depressed like this early in the morning. Okay, so. fair enough. Yeah, it does bother yeah. me. Out. Yep. <laughs> I continue to, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of a news hound. I'm, you know, I spend my whole life yeah. on my iPad reading stuff, and I'm, I, I, I'm continually amazed by the number of outlets that are out there and the number Still of out there. actual yeah, okay. working journalists, point. investigative journalists doing all sorts of amazing stuff. Um, just saw a piece yesterday um, from Bloomberg uh, Media where their writers did a, a an article about all the articles done by other outlets that they are envious of and wish they had done this year. Oh, it's a great list. Great. And there's like, yes, I don't know, 25 or 30 articles. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And some of them I had read, some of them I had seen and intended to read, but didn't get to. But, you know, it was, it was, it's a great, it, it's just another one of these end of the year lists. And you're we like, oh, yeah, I that. need to read that. That's a great to, idea. Yeah. We should have done that for like automotive stuff. Cause, you know, back to Cybertruck, which is what started this whole thing. You know, the uh, Camisa and Cruz video that came out in the beginning of December. I mean, he got early access, right? He spent, what did mm -hmm. he spend, three days with the car? And, you know, Camisa is only, how, how much? He only got a day and a half with the car to film. Wow, he really did a lot with it. But him being him, super nerd, super obsessive. Could we say compulsive, maybe? But you know he goes deep, 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 deep into the details, and um, whatever he tells me something about how a car feels or what it does, and then I go drive it or somewhere later I was like, oh, yep, totally lines up. Trust him emphatically, and um, I think everybody, way more people than us, got to appreciate that of him with that Cybertruck video. And uh, well, and he's the only uh, media outlet that got. Uh, he was taken into their crash lab and was able to film yeah. a Cybertruck um, in an uh, impact lab, which I, I believe no one else got or has had. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, he had more conversations with engineers about the safety engineering than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was quite a coup. Um, I, anecdotally, I had several friends and family hit me up like in the days following that who I know do not routinely... Uh, no. take in Haggerty Media or Car Media, and they're like, oh, yeah, I turned on YouTube, and it fed me this art, this video by your guy, Jason Camisa, um, you know, and it was really good. Uh, so it was, that was definitely a highlight of Haggerty Media this year. Sure was. I mean, Matt, you were talking about it. Uh, you know, some of the traditional big-budget shows, they went away last year, right? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, what, this year they just announced Top Gear on BBC, gone for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, after which, they had a big accident that really jacked up one of their yeah, hosts, right? Yep. Plus a nine million pound payout. Um, so that's, you know, that was, yeah, they had some issues there. It's a 20, um, how long has that show been on? I mean, every, it, it had an incredible run. So I don't view this huge, as depressing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, these no, things no, end. No, a huge run. Huge run. Yeah. I mean, granted, like, I think they were, you know, they kind of found like a good chemistry there. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, they're always trying to chase after that initial high that was like the Clarkson years. Um, but yeah, that's dead basically for the foreseeable future. They're going to focus on YouTube. 
Um, and then Grand Tour also wrapping up. So it's like kind of some big chapters in kind of video content for automotive. And here comes Haggerty Media to fill the void, That's Matt. Right. Coming right up. No pressure here. No pressure. <laughs> I just need a little more budget, guys. No, we had a great year. I mean, uh, all all the videos were firing really well. I mean, and had some of their strongest years, Barn Fine Hunter in particular, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that produced Tom Cotter. He's been searching for stuff in barns forever. That show has been around for, I want to say, it was here when I got here. Like, and yeah, so like that, I'll be here eight years. Episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one two weeks ago was a million and a half views inside of a, a week, which yep. was sort of a real record. The One of the Panteras they found were using that engine as a rebuild. And that video was my yep. favorite video of the year, by the way, watching Dave and try and turn that engine over. Oh, yeah. And and first <laughs> taking that engine out of the mid-engine Pantera, what a nightmare that was. And to see him, the pro, and he's our Redline Rebuild engine guy, He's done a million engines. Just sitting there, flummoxed and pissed. <laughs> best part of the year. Oh yeah, no up, upset. David's the best. David. For it sure. is the best. Mm-hmm. It makes it makes for the best content. Hundred percent. Although I'm kind of scared of him, though. I mean, when he's upset, I don't want to be around him. But I can watch it. <laughs> yeah, I I get to observe it like through a computer screen, so it's, right. I'm safe. So that was really fun. So December for uh, for us, I mean, if we could bang our own chest, we had that Cybertruck at the beginning, and then two weeks later, our bull market list came out. Well, you know, and we're so, having a December to remember. December to remember. Totally. And these are things that, you know, we, we designed them to spread around the automotive media world. We hope it it helps people enjoy cars. It helps let them know how much Haggerty knows about cars and how much we love cars. We're really in this. And uh, I don't know. I feel pretty good about it. So, it's a good way to end the year. Uh, should we explain what bull market was? Um, our seventh. Yeah, we'll yeah, okay, yeah. Bull market is our list. It's our seventh. The uh, the idea is these are cars that are going to increase in value in the next year or so. Uh, a lot of people say it's um, it's not an investment fund. It's not a replacement for your four hundred one k. We started this. It's just a way to show we are in this weird period where a lot of these interesting cars reach the bottom of the depreciation curve and start increasing in value slightly. So you can buy, own, enjoy, and move on in a few years for about what you had in it. Which means, which means that these fun, interesting cars that we love are about the cheapest fun that you can have these days. I mean, now me Larry created this because he's a serial car owner and he always yeah. buys cars yeah. with the notion that he's going to drive them for six months, 12 months, maybe 18 or 24 months. Yeah, you might get he's, bored. He's going to get bored with it and he's going to sell it. So he's like, I want to buy a car for 20 grand. And then 18 months later, if I can sell it for 20 grand, or 21 then it's a win and if you yeah how often is it the case though what's your track record versus our analysts track record i mean they're better than me i mean we we look back at their report card they don't they're emotionless i lose my mind i'm like hell yeah that's worth 15 hell yeah all day it's really worth like seven but i want it um so their track record's really good. I mean, this it, it, I don't know, Joe and Matt, if you guys noticed, you would say things like we had the Plymouth, sorry, the Plymouth Prowler in this year's list. And people are like, why the Prowler? That's the worst one ever. Really, the one is the Viper. And I'm like, uh-huh. We did the Viper three years ago. So Dude, Listen, I Vipers mean, are still hot. Vipers yeah. are. I look at Vipers once a week. They are. Oh, you do? Too hot. I'm a Viper guy. I. Wow, I, I didn't know this. Viper. Yeah, I know. It's my big dirty secret is I'm a Viper guy. Big Viper guy. Um, but they're just, I mean, they're priced way too hot. What is, are they like 
70 80 no like the all the all the good stuff is well north of 100k these days uh-huh. yeah because like, you want uh-huh. the what was it the 96 gts the first year no right? actually i really um I love you want the, mar- the laters i love oh, gen 4 gen acrs oh uh, those are then, really pricey yeah those are those are spendy and then i also like uh the gen 5s and those are all just dumb money at this point so i tell you what the gen 5 acr that is the car it's one of the last cars that was insanely fast, also insanely easy to drive, but also didn't make you feel like it was driving for you. It it's, mm, this weird, it's still very analog. It is. I remember driving it somewhere. I think it was the the track at the Corvette Museum, and just like going into turns, like, well, let's hope I come out of the end of this, and it just <laughs> stuck, and away it went. I mean, it was insanely good. That's a good car. Gen 5 is the car that Ralph Gilles basically willed to existence after they, Chrysler's bankruptcy, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have him to thank yeah. for it. There's that um, picture of him kissing the fender on the stage when he... <laughs> he debuted at the New York Auto Show, I remember. Yeah, um, that was a big deal. He did. Yeah. They had a small little team. You know, Ralph, there was... Ralph Gilles being uh, global head of design for Stellantis, which was Chrysler, Fiat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's here's a question, you guys. Obviously, Viper's been dead for a minute. What is not dead right now, although has been beaten to death into my head this year, 9-11 and every possible variant under the sun for their 75th anniversary? 75th. All right, yeah, listen, go ahead. Which ones do you remember? Just well, give, I me, mean, give me a rundown. No, I mean, they had three big models this year. They had GT3 RS, right? They had ST. So two unobtainiums. And then they also had the the Dakar, which is mm. three. It's like an off-road I mean, version. Yeah. And like the the ST many... is the one that uh Jason Camisa just drove and I just saw drove, yeah. he he uh pronounced that it was better than any current Ferrari, which were yes. strong words. Yep. Most engaging. Yep. I, I'm I mean, with you, you know, Matt. Have we reached so, peak nine eleven? I I feel like we're past it. You can't get a hold of them. I know, but uh, I mean, Joe, you and I have been in this business a long, long time, right? Basically, what Porsche is doing is a a stripe and 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 what do they call it? A stripe and badge job. That's not being that's not totally fair, but you know what I mean. And what I mean is, you have a basic car; it's a nine eleven, and then you want all these special editions to appeal to different slices, and especially a sports car that's a. Uh, you know, it's a fun purchase. You don't, nobody needs it. You want it the way you want it. But what we're all noticing is every year there's these special editions where they make a thousand or 1500 of them. And the money they're charging is just crazy. Crazy money. And a friend of mine wants an ST and he reports, I think they made, they're going to say make about 1300 of them worldwide. He's like, if the only people who are able to buy one new you had to have purchased the 918 when that was mm. new, which mm. was some 10, 12 years ago. And that was the car that was their supercar hybrid, you know, when the LaFerrari and the P1 McLaren came out that they couldn't sell. They wanted to sell 700,000. So they went around, you know, asked people, hey, man, you really like this thing. You know, it'd be really great. And so they're, they're, they're rewarding those folks with all these first crack at all these special editions. I, I don't well, know what to think about it. I always thought that the the uh, end would happen. Suddenly, we'd be 
9-11 special edition out? Does not appear to be the case, Matt. I just, it seemed, uh, you know, it was a big thing I noticed this year was that they just had like three different special, very special versions of the car in the same calendar year. I tell you, I want that so. ST though. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Isn't I'm the ST about three, 300 and some thousand? $300,000. Just crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, the predecessor, cost of my first house. <laughs> predecessor for that was the 911R from like, what? Five, six, 2016? Seven, seven years I, ago. Which, which also, by the way, went to 918 owners first. Yeah. I believe. Still wow, they're really rewarding those 918 owners because nine years ago when the 918 was for sale, they couldn't they couldn't give those away. Right. I, mean, that's I, know. I, re I regret but... passing on the 918. I really... <laughs> you just didn't <laughs> have that up. million dollars. I don't regret it. Back was in 2015. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, did you guys watch, you know, the model for this is that that Challenger Charger, right? And mm. Dave Kinney, he, he publishes the Haggerty Price Guide. We were watching this. Okay, just like the Camaro, the Challenger's going away. And we need a spreadsheet of all the Challenger models. Hellcat, Demon, uh, Widebody, 392. Well, I'm, I'm going to... By the way, how long and for how many years have they done that cycle with what has got to be the most ancient i mean short of any sort of like modern nissan product that's got to be the most ancient years? platform 15 easy 15 plus yeah <clears throat> i mean it goes okay, back so my to, point is yeah the last one they called it like the last call special edition this hugely long wordy name and that's it we they said we're done and one was was sold on bring a trailer and auction so everybody knew it was there it only sold for two grand over a list which told me that they timed it perfect, right? They they squeezed right, they every bit of desire out of that platform that could. I mean, that that thing should be a business case study in every business school for the next fifty years, I think. So Porsche's doing the same, right? Well, okay. In Porsche's defense, the nine eleven is a lot more technologically advanced and you know modern than any of those those chargers and challengers. Um. So I mean, I have not seen a GT3 RS at the local sideshow. So, what does that tell you? I, I don't know. It's harder to steal. I don't, I don't know. Oh, the local what show? Sideshow. What's that? So I don't know if like so I don't know if your guys' uh, social feeds or friend groups send you these things, but you know, sideshows like where they shut down like an intersection someplace and just do donuts. Oh, and, the takeovers. Yeah. Oh, I've takeover. never heard yeah, that yeah, term. Yeah. Never heard I didn't that, know that term. term either. Yeah, so home of the uh, the clapped out Infinity real drive product and or. But you have seen Chargers <laughs> and Challengers. I, I yeah. feel like I've seen video of a Charger or a Challenger. Uh, Always a Charger uh, Challenger. A Always. Uh, maybe it was a Corvette. I, I've seen videos of you know somebody launching it into a, a curb and a light pole or, or, a, or a coffee shop, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah I... I mean, they're they're a business. Porsche is a business. They're 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 making their money off SUVs. If these special editions and the profits from them mean that they're um, keeping that company alive, all for it. I mean, uh, the, the the scuttlebutt in the Porsche community is Porsche is getting more and more into uh, vintage parts. Um, if you have an old Porsche and you used to buy whatever it is engine parts in the aftermarket, and you go to Porsche to buy them now, and they have really marked them up. Mm. Like, well, four and five X, and you could argue, well, I'm getting the factory part, so it's worth it. 
I mean, well, in the restoration stuff that they do now is all, I mean, they keep trying to expand. That was a big thing they were talking about at Rensport, which is the, yeah. and I'll goof up how you say it, like the Sunderwash, whatever, Sonderwash. Yeah, you, you, you can ship a car back to Germany, or they strip it yeah, here, they ship the body back to Germany, and then they dunk it and repaint it at the factory for it. It's like, I mean, they'll rebuild the whole thing. You could have a brand yeah. new 1981 like car from them, which is, I mean, I guess. Which will be a much more interesting you? car than a 2024 one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, much, much more interesting. Not that ST, Joe. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, 2020, don't 2024 know. base 911 catching strays from Joe right now. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's all a little sad because Porsches used to be um, reachable for you know, enthusiasts who, you know, yeah. it, it was something you could aspire to. And now they're, they're just out of reach, you know, um, for wait, it. you mean older ones or newer ones, Joe? I mean, a new one, like you could aspire to this, you know, reward your station in life or your desires with a 911 at a certain point, the Boxster used to be affordable. It was launched, you know, and I think 97 as an affordable Porsche. And it was, it's like, the original box was, I, I realized it's 26 years ago, but it's like $40,000. Um, you know, even with inflation, that would be what, like 70 now. Um, and I, I don't know. Are there any Boxsters or Caymans on dealer lots in America with a five figure price tag? I, I doubt it very oh, much. That's a good question. Yeah. The upside um, though is what's were 911s, you know, any 911 built between, say 20, 2000 and 2015, it's not a special edition or the Boxster and Caymans from that era. Cheap. Great deals. A lot of them out there. So there is that opportunity. But I get it. Not the new thing. Well, if I could say one of the things that really affected me this 2023 were, you know, usually the, I feel like the car world is kind of, I always feel like it's an island to the rest of the world. Like you're in the car community, you're just, you're among car people. It's not the same, but the sort of uh, the sort of general anger and distrust and two sides that the country is currently feeling. I mean, I don't want to go out of bounds. I don't want to get political, but right there's there's a lot of everybody taking sides. I mean, it really came home to roost for me because I go to these local dirt tracks all summer with my son and track after track. I mean, there was two tracks that we go to closed, and both owners said double fist, double 11 to the people that go there. Uh, we're, we hate you. You hate us. We hate you. And the whole thing crumbled just because uh, everybody took it too seriously. Everybody, a lot of people thought they were not getting what they should. They treated each other like dirt. And the owners who aren't making money just said, we're done. And they packed it up and closed. And this is a thing that's happening all over the place. And it was shocking to me and I experienced it. Some guys were shouting at me and I'm like, Hey, I know why I'm here. We're here to have fun. We ain't going to win. We're just enjoying ourselves. So I don't know if you guys experienced that, but that was an earth shattering. I know. Uh, yeah. You, you've, you've talked about this a lot this year. Um, Real bummer. You know, it's part of the general uh, because people can, be nasty online um yeah. and have been now for you know 20 years it's like the 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 discourse the social discourse has eroded so you're at a local track and something isn't going quite your way so you just start yelling at the officials or or your other competitors or whatever 
and uh, what should be kind of a low, uh, a fun, low key, um, We're amateur, family friendly yeah. thing becomes this. Because you had mentioned that um, after events there would be uh, uh, big arguments on Facebook, um, people bitching about what happened at the track the previous day or the previous weekend, and. Um, and the owners of the track trying to defend their actions, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah. Um, There's always going to be a few bad apples, but the number of bad apples just grew enough. I don't think it's a majority, but if it went from a couple percent to 10%, you know, the owners, they're not making money at this or they're just floating it, said, forget it. And, you know, the but, real the real people who are penalized, I think, are these little Midwestern towns where that track is the main kind of social get-together and the activity on the weekend nights. And they're just like, yeah, forget it. It, it goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, you hear about parents of uh, children and teenagers with competitive athletic events and yeah. how parents get all wound up and start screaming at each other um, uh, about perform, you know, softball games and soccer right. and all this stuff. It's like, so it's just, it's part of the culture now. Yeah. Um, well, what about you guys? That was that was that has that has been a low point of twenty twenty three for me. Anything jump out as you? What were some of your major highs and lows this year? Joe, you want to go? Well, <laughs> um, I'm fixated on Elon Musk and his place in the culture. Um, uh, I live in Michigan, so I was uh, very much following the UAW strike at General Motors, um, oh, yeah. and that was very interesting. Super uh, and I really appreciated how labor was newly empowered because uh, I think it needed to be. Um, needed and, that check, right? Well, companies needed the check of. I, I was happy that first of all, it was it was uh, interesting to observe Sean Fain, the new head of the UAW, who was a very charismatic leader. Um, uh, you know, rallied his troops. Uh, use social media and the media to get his messaging out. I mean, he was a brilliant guy um, and uh, made labor in the automotive industry uh, much more relevant again. Yeah. And of course, this is at the same time that people are striking, uh, uh, labor is striking at Starbucks. Um, uh, was it Caterpillar had a big strike? You know, labor mm. is on the upswing, which is which is good, really. And um now, at the same time, I read all the analyses about how the new wages and benefits that the UAW did eventually win from the big, the big three, the former big three, uh, will make them all the more uncompetitive over time against competitors like Tesla. Um, so, you know, that's... It's really hard because uh, in the U.S. at least, the CEOs are paid such a huge percentage over or many, many, many multiple times over the rest of the world. You know, uh, a CEO in the automotive CEO in the U.S. is getting 25, 30 million a year versus I think Akio Toyota made five. Yeah. So I think that number of, alone just yeah. makes people angry. And in the world of uh, automotive, American corporate CEOs, um, automotive ones are still, they're on the lower end, really. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of CEOs okay. who make six figures and high five figures, et cetera. It's routine, especially in the finance and tech sectors. But um, 
when you are uh, running companies that not that long ago were on the brink of bankruptcy or did did go bankrupt, got federal payouts, um, and you wiped out a lot of pay and benefits for your labor force, a middle-class labor force, um, and you haven't reinstated those, and yet you're taking home 10, 20 million. Well, they, like, haven't, it's just, they haven't reinstated it, but shareholder value. Uh, well, there's that whole issue too. I'm going to call yes. him Mother Jones <laughs> Joe. Mother Jones yeah. Joe. MJJ? Uh, what I'm hearing here is that you want to have a conversation about unionization here at Haggerty, which I don't think we should be having. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Haggerty treats us pretty well, so um, you know, not looking for it here. It's but. such a complicated topic because I, I I see both sides, right? I mean, um, General Motors says that the new labor contract is going to cost them nine billion over the next five years, and they're in the middle of this huge shift to electric vehicles that. You say like, well, they're really dumb to do that, but every force, I mean, outside of the customer is telling them you got to switch to EVs and the cars are so heavily regulated. I don't know if people realize that they're incredibly regulated. So, you know, they talk about the EPA is talking about new tailpipe emission rules and they say, well, we're not really saying you can't uh, have gas cars, but the the, the requirements are so high, the only way you can really meet them is with EVs. And this is all changing and it's all, you know, uh, evolving as we speak, but it's pretty clear that they do have to evolve to this new propulsion system. At the same time, they're trying to keep their other cars current so people buy them. So it is a huge challenge. I get it's it. A, and and yeah. but I understand Labor's point too. They're like, show us the money. You're showing everybody else the money but us. Got it. And that's a hard well, job. But also EV EV adoption, which is, I mean, this is the thing I think is kind of big for this year. It does seem like you know, we are now past all of the kind of early adopters, right? Yeah. Everyone that wanted in sort of already got in the game. And then for a lot of people, they got in the game, think they were going to save a bunch of money, whatever. And instead, they just have a boatload of inconvenience that they try to like charge and make work yeah. for the lifestyle and, and whatever it may be. Um, are they actually going to be able to make that switch switch mandatory in 10 years time i it 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 will be incentivized i mean it things take right time i mean i think yeah. we'll sit here 20 years from now if we're all still alive and think like oh yeah remember it was kind of rough back then like that transition it's i feel it's pretty much inevitable um and as much as i have sometimes succumbed to the notion that oh maybe evs aren't the aren't the answer for environment for the environment and such i've i've read enough from people i respect that you know, like it's pretty clear that they are a, a huge environmental um, benefit um so and once the infrastructure kind of changes but we're just in this middle period it's but in the whole scheme of things you know i i suspect we will get there no question there are huge inconveniences and there's going to be a long transition along I mean, one. So you're saying you have confidence that we will build the infrastructure countrywide to support full EV. Yeah, I think they will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean California's gonna drive it if nothing else. You know, you know, things can once America gets going it, it and momentum gets gets behind things, things can happen pretty quickly. I'm not saying in a year, saying like, you know, 
15 years. I mean, the thing is, um, uh, you know, everybody says you can't make an electric car make money. And I mean, I don't know the economics perfect because Tesla made a lot of money on selling their carbon credits to other manufacturers. So it wasn't purely based on their cars, but those cars work really well. And they're a new kind of thought about how cars are made and how they're produced and all that stuff. So there are other ideas out there. The bump, the thing that always bummed me out is that um, it's picking a solution rather than incentivizing the problem. So the problem is, okay, we want to produce less CO2. We all know, right? The way to do that is a carbon tax. It seems to be political um, death, but they talk oh, about it more and oh. more and more frequently in the Wall Street Journal because you do stuff like that, you know, the the plug-ins hybrids that Toyota advocated, tiny little battery, gets you 20, 25 miles a day on electric, but then you have the, the gas motor for longer trips, right? We all knew that it made all the sense in the world, but we're not mm-hmm. focusing on that transitional product. What's the, um, there's a new Ram product anything. that came out this year that they announced where basically it functions. There's a new the Ram truck. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah it's it a Ram truck. Works like a, yeah, it works like a freight train basically like a locomotive series hybrid so the the motor the gas engine is not connected to the tires it just spins a generator that goes to the electric motors the downside to that is it has a big battery pack that'll go like 120 miles 100 on electric so you kind of have the worst of both worlds right you've got all so this extra good. stuff what so it's not not a good solution it, it it's an okay solution it's a stopgap but the the minimalist kind of I mean, for big trucks, I just don't think hybrids make any sense. But for cars and our small SUVs and things like that, the plug-in hybrid makes all the sense in the world. You know, I mean, the Ram Charger exists because you want something electric, but then if you're going to tow, you're not relying on electrons. The bat. Now, speaking of big trucks and electric, uh, Ford F-150 Lightning, Ford had huge hopes for this, and it's not doing well. They've had to cut production in a big way. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, it's a transitional and, time, ups and downs for sure. But you know, like you said, Joe, what what's what did the Model Y become the best selling car in the country? Yeah, the Tesla Model Y, which came out uh, three years ago, I three believe. Three year old car, amazing. The first quarter of this year, it became the best selling car in the world. Have you guys um, been in one of those? Yeah, I drove it when it was new. I got to ride um, in one like a week and a half ago on the FDR in the back of it as an Uber. Mm. And I'm sure it's a very popular car. It rides like an ox cart over like yeah. potholes. Yeah, it's got a big heavy battery. It's got to support. Yeah. 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 I'm I was not like, surprised. Okay, go, we're going to get... Well, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was going to knock my fillings out, but... Okay, do you have any... This, we're going to go round robin, three favorite things that, that happened this year. This year, I found a new favorite road. It was called Charlie Creek Road. It's in... Uh, Let's see, Southwest North Carolina in the Pisgah National Forest. If you're looking, you go to Balsam Grove on Route 215 and hang a left. That is an incredible, curvy, empty, just gorgeous road through the hollers of the mountains. Um, that's mine. That's my big win for 2023. What about you guys? Mm. I went on a big road trip to Florida, solo road trip, two weeks. Oh, um, which I enjoyed. Um, and I really, really liked having my own car and the flexibility to stop and see family nice. and friends. Nice. And I was I was going to a wedding, so that was, you know, one anchor on the calendar. Um, but largely I could do what I wanted. Um, 
and uh, had my bike with me, could unload the bike when I wanted, go for a ride. So um, that was a highlight of at least the first part of the year, for sure. Okay. I mean, coolest thing, at least in automotive for me this year, was the NASCAR Garage 56 entry uh, yes. at Le Mans. Explain I, it. It's because, like, you know, you take Wait, a, a NASCAR. Tell the audience what it was. You take a you take a NASCAR from you know Daytona whatever and you modify it a little bit stock car yeah modify it a little bit so you can actually you know go run endurance racing for twenty four hours wasn't in a specific class it was like exhibition class but was that this a was Camaro was this a Camaro uh, based yeah. yeah yeah Camaro based and it was just like it was the coolest friggin' thing to see in so all fun. of like the coverage i mean like yeah the, uh, the rest of the race great whatever but like that was it was so cool to see that thing coming down the track and hear it because it sounds so radically different than anything else they got going over there for the 24 hours it was just i don't know i saw a lot more excitement around that race not just because it was the 100th anniversary but because that entry was in and really getting people stoked out and they had they had jensen button they had jimmy jimmy johnson third mm-hmm. yeah who's the third driver Shit. Mike Rockefeller. There we go. Yeah. Who's a very accomplished driver, uh, whose name I forgot. But I mean, like, just, I don't know. I thought that was like the coolest thing that kind of happened this calendar year. Oh my gosh. That was such a great point. The, uh, the after videos on social where Mm -hmm. they'd have at night with the garage 56 Camaro going to pass these little small high revving, uh, open top prototypes with the Leonard Skinner Freebird music going was about the best thing I saw all year. Yeah, year. I mean, like, if that can't unify the country, you know what I mean? Like, how can we not all get behind that and just be, like, one united front? I'm totally front? behind it. Yeah. I'm here point. for it. Okay, thank you, guys. Fun to look back. I'm really looking forward to next year. More of these podcasts, more of Haggerty Media and our videos. Please bookmark all our pages. Go to haggertymedia.com slash media. Definitely, definitely sign up for the Haggerty Drivers Club. They get you six issues, uh, the exclusive magazine for Drivers Club member that we slave over. And, you know, bookmark our YouTube, follow our socials, and, uh, you know, talk to us. We want to know, hear what you think about everything. Well, thank you, everybody. Oh, there it is, Joey. Speaking Have a great, of Camaro. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a Camaro. Oh, right. Camaro our, on this cover. Our love letter to the Camaro is that exit goes away. stage left. Right. Um, in our latest issue. Well, happy holidays, everybody. See you next year on the Never Stop Driving podcast. Thanks, Larry.